Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. As Washington rejects Moscow's sweeping demands, the administration is warning that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is imminent, as Kiev maintains the situation is less dire. Washington says Russia's invasion of Ukraine is imminent as it ships weapons to bolster Ukrainian forces and looks to deploy at least 8,500 and as many as 50,000 American troops to Europe to reassure allies. As the winner As the Beijing Winter Olympics prepare to open next week, China is locking down to counter a COVID surge, blaming it on contaminated foreign products as Chinese aircraft continue to violate Taiwanese airspace. Uh, North Korea escalates missile testing as Iran nuclear talks continue. This as hopes run high that the United States Congress will approve a defense appropriations measure that averts that averts a full year continuing resolution. Joining us to discuss all this and more are Dr. Patrick Cronin, the Asia Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, retired United States Navy Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, who is a senior advisor to the Cyberspace Solarium Commission and the senior director of the Center on Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, former Pentagon Europe chief and all-around man-in-demand Jim Townsend, who is now affiliated with the Center for a New American Security, and former Pentagon Comptroller Dr. Dov Zakheim, who counts the Center for Strategic and International Studies among his many affiliations. And as Congress is out of session, Michael Herson of American Defense International, unfortunately, has the week off. Uh, before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall, and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, and Huntington Ingalls Industries uh, sponsored our coverage of the Surface Navy Association's recent uh, conference and uh, trade show. And check out our Cavus Ships podcast, hosted by our contributing editor, Chris Cavus, and our producer, Chris Cervello, who clear the fog on naval and maritime issues each week, and tune into the downlink with our contributing contributing editor, Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful weekly look at all things space. Everybody, thanks very much for uh, joining us. Uh, Dove, um, as I mentioned, Michael is off, so I'm going to put you uh, in the seat on this and Mark, kind of get your take as our uh, local uh, congressional observers. Uh, Dove, uh, obviously there's been a betting game going on in Washington, whether or not we have a full year continuing resolution or a resolution or an appropriations measure by March. Do you think the Russia-Ukraine matter uh, accelerates and brings uh, folks together in a bipartisan nature to get this done and get it done as fast as possible? It might. Uh, It's interesting that Mr. Putin is going to, in many ways, control whether there's a a year-long CR or not. Uh, If he does, as I expect him to do, uh, simply slice off a bit of Ukraine, then I think the current bipartisan outrage at what he's doing is going to melt away, at least to some extent. Uh, Reason being, we're in an election year, number one. Number two, the Republicans uh, think that they're going to control at least one of the houses, if not both. Uh, They'll be incentivized not to give uh, anything away to Mr. Biden, including his defense budget. There'll be a lot of Republicans who uh, will overnight become uh, defense budget cutters and therefore link up with the Democratic left. Uh, As you know, the Progressive Caucus has about 100 people who already want to cut the budget. So uh, it really depends. If Mr. Putin has an all-out invasion or a major invasion of Ukraine, I think the bipartisan uh, 
anger at Russia will hold. And I think that will indeed lead to uh, a defense budget being approved probably uh, in early March, uh, maybe as late as late February, but certainly in early March. But if that doesn't happen and uh, the Germans turn around and say, well, you know, nothing big has happened. We want our gas. And the French continue to push uh, for some kind of uh, separate European identity. Uh, I think you'll see the politics of this upcoming election making it much more difficult to get a CR passed. It's possible, but the odds will certainly grow against it. Mark, uh, what's your reading of the political tea leaves up there? Well, first, I, I, I would agree with uh, Dove that um, that if there's a major invasion, then we're going to have a defense budget very pretty rapidly. But I also think there's an opportunity for defense budget um, absent a major invasion. And I, and I, I hope bo- both are true, that we are absent a major invasion and that we can get the budget done. I think that's the, the budget deal where there has to be some kind of um, uh, compromise on the non-DOD discretionary spending uh, rise. Um, probably not, you know, the, right now one's We'll say the defense one is 25 billion and the non-defense ones in the 60 plus billion. And somewhere in there, you have to you have to get those two numbers closer to each other. And uh, and then you can have an agreement. I, I do think there's still a chance for that. And that's based on uh, the reality of, a, of an election cycle in October, November. And you want to you want to be able to campaign on the things you brought uh, to your district and you can't really bring much on a continuing resolution. So uh, all uh, uh, hope uh, springs uh, eternal. Uh, Jim, uh, Tony Blinken has submitted uh, written answers, right? Russia wanted written answers uh, to its questions, which the Kremlin says are unsatisfactory and don't reassure it. Only, Only Russia taking a page out of the Soviet playbook precipitates a crisis, makes maximalist demands, then says, wow, you haven't reassured me uh, while uh, parking 150,000 troops in and around uh, a sovereign nation's uh, borders. It's not really a laughing matter. Um, Washington says a Russian invasion is imminent. imminent. Kiev claims uh, that the situation is dangerous, but the invasion is not imminent. There is a glimmer of hope of diplomacy. Where are we going? Uh, Where are we? Where are we going? And more importantly, where what form do you think an invasion takes if it uh, takes place, right? I mean, does he, does he go to Kiev? Does he do what uh, uh, Dove says is, is a little slice? There's a sense that he's going to open up a corridor, uh, ground corridor to uh, Crimea. What, what's, what's your sense on where we are and where we're going? I always follow what Dove says. It's uh, very rare that I would want to cross swords with him or disagree. But I think in this case, uh, I, I think this is going to be a bit bigger than just taking off a bite or something, um, you know, something that's uh, minor, much less than a, a larger invasion. Uh, just watching the amount of hardware and the type of hardware and where they're coming from and where they're going, uh, including three ships uh, going through the Mediterranean right now with amphibious forces on it heading to the Black Sea. This just looks like to me is going to be bigger. I mean, there's an easier way to put a gun to Ukraine's head than doing all that Putin is doing now. And uh, as you mentioned, the diplomatic track is just um, a bit of a laughingstock. Uh, they're just dragging this thing out. Um, you know, we had we gave them written responses, uh, and and the initial indications are very lukewarm. You know, coming out of Moscow, I don't think they're serious. I think what they're serious about is controlling Ukraine. And they're not going to be able to do that unless they topple the government there. 
I, I don't think they're going to go in there and seize Ukraine and occupy Ukraine. And we're going to watch an insurgency unfold in the coming years. And it's not going to be that. But I think it's going to be something uh, pretty powerful, uh, at least in the opening phase. Uh, and I think the, the Zelensky government will topple and and uh, Putin will put in his people. But I think that is his that's what he wants to do is that. And uh, and he wants to try at the same time uh, to embarrass the United States and to embarrass NATO to try to split NATO off. And you can already see in terms of NATO, uh, you know, Sekjin is is trying to keep everybody in place. The Germans aren't making it easy. Uh, we'll see where they where they are in the next few days. Uh, but uh, but I think for 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 what's going to happen, I think I think. To me, it's 75, 80 percent. It's going to be a uh, pretty awful few days. And I don't think Ukraine is ready for this psychologically. I, I just don't see them ready for this. Um, and it's going to be a bad time. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Dove, I hope you are absolutely right. <laughs> I hope this is going to be something smaller, but I just don't think so. Well, let um, me just I, I, jump in if I can. Go ahead. Uh, look, uh, the thing that Putin has is those hundred plus thousand troops. Uh, he doesn't have to uh, invade and take over everything um, because he can take off a slice and particularly a slice in eastern Ukraine where they're Russian speakers and and uh, part of the Orthodox and, and our, our Orthodox church believers generally um, and keep those troops there and take off another slice later on. So um, I hope I'm wrong entirely. I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I hope he doesn't do anything. Um, hope springs eternal. And uh, I worry that the West does not have a really coordinated position uh, for anything other than an invasion that takes over Kiev as well. Um, I want to I want to get to that. Uh, Jim, let me ask uh, one question uh, of, of you, which is, you know, we're, we're trying to portray this as the alliance is united, but we know the alliance is not united. The Germans are very, very reluctant. Uh, and, and right, we should say that this extends because it's Ukraine and Ukraine is not a NATO member, right? However, the Germans are very reluctant. They have been uh, unwilling to allow overflights of their territory of aircraft bearing arms uh, for uh, Ukraine. Indeed, American reconnaissance airplanes are taking the long way around because the Russian Germans don't want them flying over their territory. France is sort of seen as advancing its own agenda and actually undermining the United States. Uh, the Italians want to get back to business uh, as usual. And now there are folks who are saying that the administration is talking about an imminent invasion um, to pressure Ukraine to make some form of deal or concessions with Moscow. Um, right. Washington says that it's not doing that. But you have to wonder why America keeps saying an invasion is imminent and the Ukrainians keep saying an invasion is not imminent. Obviously, some of this is for domestic consumption. How can we claim that the alliance is in great shape and healthy? And isn't this isn't isn't the gravity of each country causing fissures and fractions that are fracturing the alliance with people on the east worried that people will not be, you know, the rest of the alliance will not be there for them, including the biggest continental European nation. Uh, what I'd say is that, you know, NATO has these uh, fractures and these fissures anyway. I mean, it's 30 nations ever since 1949. We've always had these seams in the alliance and it takes U.S. and, and NATO leadership, uh, you know, the SecGen to kind of keep everybody moving in the same 
direction and not beating up each other. So that's just kind of that's just kind of NATO. In terms of what we're dealing with right now, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Germany is not covering itself in glory, as they as this you know relatively weak new left of center uh, government. It's trying to sort itself out in terms of what to do about Russia Ukraine. Uh, we know they've they it's well known aversion to sending uh, weapons into conflict zones is is rearing its head here. Plus, Russia Ukraine have a special place in German history in terms of what happened in World War II. There's a lot of things that make this a difficult place for Germany to be on top of this government that's 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 trying to get its act together. So. You know, it's not that Germany is supportive of Russia. It's not that Germany wishes ill on Ukraine. Um, I think it's Germany is trying to figure it out. So what does it do, including the energy part, uh, Vago? I think, you know, that's a big part of it, too. For a lot of uh, nations, they're holding their breath. If if the tap is turned off, uh, that's going to be uh, problems throughout Europe. I mean, you hear different uh, stories about how ready Europe is in terms of reserves or, or a backup that maybe U.S. or other uh, gas exporting nations can provide. But um, you know, it's there is a there's a there's there's reasons why some nations are holding their breath about what's going to happen. Italy, you mentioned that, and some of the remarks by some corporate people there. And so we're hearing squeaks and squawks. I think the only thing I would say is. Given all of this, I think we're lucky NATO is as unified as it seems to be. I've talked to uh, Julie Smith, you know, our, our NATO ambassador there. Uh, we've emailed a little bit and, 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 I've, and lots of allies have talked to me over the past few days. And I think there's, there's, there does seem to be uh, more unity than it would seem if you're just looking at the newspapers. Uh, understanding, as I said, that NATO naturally has these fissures. You'll never have everybody at 100% in lockstep. But I think, and this is through my experience working with NATO, the unity so far is not bad. The question comes, Vago, once the shooting starts, and, and like Dove, I hope it doesn't, we'll see what happens. But once the shooting starts, what then? Um, particularly as pressure will grow and grow on the allies, whether it's the winter uh, without uh, gas or whatever it might be, how can we keep the alliance together moving forward when the going gets tough? And that going gets tough once the, the bullets start to fly. And the last point, Vago, about uh, Ukraine, the U.S. says it's imminent an invasion and um, Ukraine seems to be what me worry. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess it's like you say, it's not a laughing matter, but it's, it is a bit, a bit um, strange uh, to kind of see this, this, uh, this, this mood in Ukraine where it seems like they, they think nothing's going to happen. You know, I, I don't know if they're in, de in, de in denial or if they've, uh, I, I don't know what's causing that, but I think they're the only ones that seem to think that nothing's going to happen. The problem is, Vago, and um, is that if there's going to be invasion, Ukraine has got to be ready, not just militarily, but in terms of its civil society, medical, uh, transportation. There's a lot of things that are going to be just right. up, disrupted, and I'm, I'm afraid that uh, Ukraine might not be ready for that. Um, I uh, want to point out that the uh, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg was uh, spoke this morning in an Atlantic Council event. I commend people to check it out. And also another fascinating Atlantic Council event uh, with uh, two former SACURs, Wes Clark and, and Phil Breedlove. Uh, that was uh, very interesting. And I think the Secretary General acquitted himself very well. 
to uh, Margaret Brennan of uh, Face the Nation and CBS being uh, the uh, moderator for, for that uh, conversation. Patrick, let me uh, bring you into this, right? Um, is you know, you you joked, uh, you know, we always, uh, as we prepare for this, are discussing what questions we want to discuss. And you you quipped, you know, the real question is how a country with a, GB, uh, the, a GDP the size of South Korea is is sort of holding uh, the world hostage. I think we know nuclear weapons is one of them and that the Russian is, is, is another one. Um, how would you gauge the administration's performance here? Because, uh, you know, having talked to a lot of people over the course of the week, including some Republican friends, have 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 sort of tipped their hat and said the administration is doing as good of a job on this as as they could. All right. I mean, there's always room for improvement, but they appear to have learned some very, very valuable lessons in the wake of Afghanistan, uh, you know, increase the number of folks they're coordinating with. They're not putting any statement on, especially if it involves any country without coordinating with those capitals. You know, you're a tough and, and pretty fair judge on performance. And Mark, want to ask you this question as well. How are they performing from your, your standpoint? Uh, and, and where could they do better? Well, Vago, in the Indo-Pacific and maybe internationally, America looks weak. Our power and purpose are being challenged. Putin's calling the shots. Xi Jinping is calling the shots. Kim Jong-un is even calling the shots. Do you know that next month, uh, North Korea becomes the chair of the UN Disarmament Committee? What a joke. Um, they've just had six days of firing uh, test-firing missiles, North Korea. Um, Wang Yi, the foreign minister of China, has just made a series of demands, outrageous demands. I mean, criticizing the United States for undermining the Olympics, blaming the United States for stoking tensions on Taiwan, um, blaming the United States for stoking tensions with Russia around Ukraine. Um, you know, we look weak. So as somebody who has supported the Biden administration, as you know, Vago, um, I don't say this lightly. We are getting our butts kicked and it's time for Biden to take, you know, some kick some button and take some names himself. It's the United States has to stand strong here, not overreact. Um, and I'm overreacting here partly to say that that's what we need to do is to show greater strength. And, and saying that an invasion would change the nature of international diplomacy is not enough. It's not strong enough. Um, we do look too divided. So for all of the good things that have been said so far and that you've, the points you've made um, and the Secretary General of NATO, God bless him, um, the United States does not look like it's calling the shots to protect the system. And here, let me just highlight that in this Lunar New Year holiday for, for China, as they open up the Olympics at the same time, they are airing their biggest blockbuster movie. It's a sequel, uh, The Battle of Chongzhen. Um, and this is not a light moment. I mean, this is, this is their counterpunching to the UN US-led forces on the Korean Peninsula as they were approaching the Yalu. And they pushed the Marines and the army all the way back across the 38th. And the Chinese didn't stop then. Most importantly, they kept going. They wanted to take the entire peninsula. And then of course, UN US forces fought back in that February, March, and eventually we ended armistice agreement talks in July 51 that dragged on for a couple of years. The point is that you have to be in the arena fighting. Um, if you want to uphold your system. And right now, the United States does not look like it's doing enough to stand up for the rules that it helped to produce, including the sovereignty of Ukraine. And, and what are some of the extra things uh, we could be doing and should be doing, uh, Patrick? Because, right, Anthony Blinken has said, uh, Anthony Blinken has said, you know, the world is watching, uh, right, clearly understanding that the Chinese are drawing their own lessons uh, from this. Obviously, Russia is consuming almost all of our bandwidth, uh, you know, sadly now. Um, what is it that we should be doing more? What should the administration be doing more? 
because I'm one of the people that agrees with you, you know, in, in, in a room full of thugs, you don't necessarily have to be a thug, but you got to be tough enough to dissuade the thugs from, from doing something that is not only not in our interest, but actually is not in their long-term interest either, right? A, A war in Asia is actually not going to help China any more than an invasion of Ukraine is going to help Russia over the long term. Well, we've got to stiffen the spine of Germany because they've got to provide more than helmets to Ukraine for their own self-defense. Um, Jim Townsend has made very good points about the need to uh, work NATO forces in the Baltic republics and other, other NATO members uh, that are on the border that are in danger um, so that we can stand strong. We may need to be doing our own military exercises uh, in the transatlantic region, not just in the Pacific region, to indicate our strength. Because remember, Putin's all of his orchestration of even hypersonic tests and other things this past year, you could see that as a, as a rehearsal for wanting to deter and talk down the United States for this kind of political crisis that he has manufactured. Um, we need to stand strong. We do need to obviously develop stronger economic counter economic coercion measures and counter uh, energy coercion measures. Um, I, I know all of these things are difficult, but strength is what we have to show. And right now, we've just not been showing enough strength. We've been too diplomatic um, to a fault, I think, here. And, and Bago, I'm sorry, I've got to go. You've got great guests here to, to help us uh, sift through other steps that the United States and its allies and partners can take. But, but the world is watching Iran, North Korea, China, uh, and Russia, meanwhile, is calling these shots, and they want to see how far they can push the United States around. We have to stop letting them push us around. Patrick, thanks so very, very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, you, you've given a great tie-in to uh, Dove's um, uh, piece uh, that is up on the Hill uh, today uh, discussing uh, the Biden administration faces a dra- dangerous anti-American triad. Uh, but before we get to Dove and go back to uh, Jim, I want to bring uh, Mark into the conversation. Mark, uh, you know, what do you think the administration has been doing right? Um, right, uh, uh, Patrick did give a, a tough grade. Um, they are doing well. Uh, they could be doing better. Uh, where do you think the administration is on the mark? Where do you think it's could use more work? Uh, uh, thanks, uh, Um Vago. And, and look, first, I, I don't hold the, this administration accountable for the military mismatch. Um, to address that, you needed to make decisions two, three, five years ago. I mean, uh, you know, what, what, uh, uh, what, what Ukraine needs is not something that you can uh, send them in a C-17 and, and their uh, right. uh, men and women can operate. I, I will say when this is when this if this um, spin cycle cycles down, if this uh, crisis cycles down, Without a, an invasion, we, we really do have to address that the military issue. And I think both the uh, Obama and Trump administrations were uh, were uh, negligent in getting the right equipment to Ukraine. They need um, uh, land-based anti-ship missiles. They need you know they can't afford a navy, but they can afford the asymmetric weapons to prevent a Russian invasion. Uh, they need appropriate uh, shorter range air defense systems to make the Iskanders less of a problem for them. They need as many javelins as apparently they need. Um, and they need some kind of land strike to place some of the Russian systems and logistics at risk. And you, this is all stuff that takes two, three, four years to send over there, train people, get there. And before people say, well, you know, if you do that, you offend Russia. We sell these exactly the systems I just mentioned. We sell all of them to Taiwan. So we can sell them to Ukraine, but that's 
that's for the future. And I don't grade this administration down on that because others had to do that. Where I do think they could do more and where they've done a lot and they could do more is on the economic sanctions. It's not just come up with them. I think they need to publish them. If they're to have the deterrent effect you want, you, the, the right. deterrence uh, you know, by denial effect that you want, then you have to publish them now. If you publish them after they've done the attack, that's deterrence by punishment. And I don't think that's going to work with Putin. We should state very explicitly what we're going to do to him and his cronies, um, what we're going to do. And we need to get the Germans on board for appropriate actions on Nord Stream 2. And we need to state exactly what they are. If your troops cross the border, this will happen. And that's, that's the kind of leadership that I think uh, Blinken, uh, Tony Blinken and, and President Biden are, are trying to exert right now. And we'll see over the next few days if they can get it done. I will say it, it's not lost on me that a good opportunity was Ted Cruz's bill, which ironically, the Democrats filibustered. So I believe they they apparently do still believe in the filibuster um, uh, to defeat. Uh, it, it, it was it, it uh, had a 55 to 44 vote, but it needed 60 with the filibuster rules um, that would have staked out a tough position on sanctions up front. Um, if you're not going to adopt that, uh, President Biden, then you really need to state what you're going to do so you can have some deterrent effect. I think if he goes that one step further, then he's, he's going to have a good grade on how, on how he prepared for this. Um, what are lessons here, uh, Mark? And I, I want to go and, and, and go to Dove and uh, Jim uh, in a moment. But what are lessons here for Taiwan, right? I mean, there is a concern. Uh, you and I were at the Reagan uh, Forum. Uh, this issue came up when I was at the Halifax Forum uh, with uh, concerns that uh, the Taiwanese are not spending their money as wisely as they could, that they're spending it, for example, on prestige projects like submarines and you know fighter aircraft and things like that, as opposed to uh, maybe the bulk of the investment should be going into uh, munitions, mines, other things that would complicate uh, potentially a Chinese uh, in, in invasion. What are lessons from Ukraine that should shape how we need what we need to do vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, given, uh, you know, as Patrick said, uh, the, the Chinese have their eye on the prize, which is Taiwan, a country that both Beijing and Moscow, right, just as, uh, as Moscow says, uh, Ukraine is an indivisible part of Russia, the Chinese are saying Taiwan is part of, uh, part of China. So there's and, a lot, and they're both gray areas, right? The yeah. one is outside NATO, the other one is outside any sort of uh, explicit territorial guarantee. So uh, we could do a whole 35 minutes on everything we need to do, but I'll pick out two items. The first is uh, President Obama and uh, President Trump approved about $15 billion worth of potential arms sales to, uh, to Taiwan over the last five years. We need to prioritize the ones that are really necessary, the anti-ship cruise missiles, the what are called slammy, the air-launched um, land attack missiles, uh, things that can have a, 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 an immediate asymmetric effect on a, on a Chinese um, invasion plan. And we need to prioritize them, purchasing them, vice, like you said, things like tanks and, uh, and, and, and submarines right now. Uh, they need to prioritize purchasing them, and they need to then be given head of the line. Like, you know, their, their request for Harpoon missiles shouldn't be behind Greece or Portugal's or something like that, right? It needs to, they probably, they need to be number one or number two in line. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is they have just increased their defense budget again over the, and over the next few years, it's going to be about 2.5%. That's a lot for democracy outside of Israel, the United States, Ukraine, actually Greece right now, very few countries spend that amount of money. The uh, we, but what we need to do is like we do for uh, Israel is we need to match 
their spending and say, look, you're 2.5%. If you can raise it to 2.7%, we'll throw in a billion dollars a year of FMF uh, money. And then if you can raise it to... Uh, to 3.0% will give you up to 2 billion. So on a sliding scale, increase, you know, give them a donation that takes their 2.7 or 3% and makes it 3.2 or 3.5%. I think if we do that kind of uh, that kind of grant program that incentivizes their appropriate spending, uh, we'll be supporting a beleaguered democracy just like we do with with Israel. And uh, and to me, those two things, if we if we do them, that's a good first start. I want a lot of issues to redress the balance there. Um, Jim, uh, I want to uh, go to you and uh, put the question about whether or not we're being tough enough, right? I think Patrick raised uh, something uh, germane, and I want to sort of give you an opportunity to counter that. And then, uh, Dove, just to give you, you know, I want to get your sense on how Putin may be winning the rhetorical war in the United States anyway, right? I mean, Tucker Carlson uh, is parroting, as well as a lot of far-right Republican leaders, uh, the Kremlin's talking points effectively. And that, in turn, is getting more people, even in the middle, to sort of question, you know, and, and Jim, if you want to take a bite at this as well, and Mark, uh, right, to, to question why we should de- defend the Balti- Baltics. You know, a friend of mine said, uh, look, you know, we, we just need to be honest about this, right? Let's have a conversation about it. So stuff that people would say in private at the end of a long dinner and sort of say like, hey, we're not crazy. And whether these leaders were European leaders or sometimes American ones, uh, reticence about uh, defending the Baltics, for example, or Eastern uh, Europe uh, are now sort of getting to be more public discussions, uh, which uh, can can be very problematic. You know, give us your sense on what you know Patrick's comments and whether or not Putin is winning even before shooting, fundamentally aligning, undermining the alliance effectively. Well, you know, uh, it's a, I mean, it's a great question, and it's much bigger than uh, the U.S. reaction to Ukraine and, and that type of thing. There's a lot of things I think that have lined up to make us to make us look pretty bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, you we, we go through these cycles where um, we have a bit of good luck and, and we have a good, strong uh, government in Washington and our politics are not as disruptive as they are now. And there's you know, there's a lot of outside, uh, um, you know, functions that that actually give us a pretty good run in terms of how we look to other nations. Right now, we don't have those things lined up. There's a lot of things that have come together uh, that that make the U.S. look pretty weak or makes the West look pretty weak, too, by the way. It's not just us. And I think for us, really, um, we, we I think Putin and Z both feel that they now is the time if they wanted to uh, to try to do some disruptive things. They look at the horizon. They look at the United States and particularly our domestic problems. I think particularly our domestic problems, some of our leadership on both sides of the aisle. I mean, there's a lot of things that make the U.S. look pretty bad right now. And so um, and so you, you add to that uh, cobble and what happened last year there. You add to that, um, you know, the you know, the 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 fact that in, that Putin is kind of is leading this charge in Europe and pretty much seemingly dictating the march to everyone else. So I mean, we could have a long conversation about that, but but I think Patrick is is right broadly. We do look weak. The West does look weak, 
And, um, and we're going to have to take some time. It's going to take time for us to swing back the other way. Uh, our politics, the European politics, uh, Putin and, and, uh, and his strength, where he is now compared to where he might be in 10 years. So this is an important question. And I, and I, won't, I don't want to take up any more of your time getting philosophic about it. But I think we do look bad. But we can't let that pressure us into making stupid mistakes on some very specific things like right now with Ukraine and with Russia. Um, we do need to ratchet up the, the military side of it. I agree with Doug and Patrick too on that um, because the, it looks like that diplomatic side is petering out. But I think we, we have to ratchet it up in a smart way. And I think we're capable of doing that. Uh, and I think, and what we don't want to do is, is overreact and, and, in a way to try to make us look strong, but in doing that, we make things worse. So um, I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for in terms of, a, of, a, of an answer. It's a bigger, broader problem about how we look and why, and then more narrow when you look at the specific issue, Ukraine and Russia. I think right now we've got to look, uh, we've got to have more of a military response now as the diplomatic side peters out. Uh, and um, I, I think that, look, uh, after being weak for a long period of time, uh, it, it is, I mean, this is the reason why staying strong is actually better than weakening and then suddenly um, putting the throttle down to, uh, you know, right, it's, it's overdue, it's necessary, um, but it, it also becomes something of a challenge, right? I mean, uh, Fred Kemp uh, in his uh, great book about the Berlin uh, a crisis in the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, 1961, makes a great point that it was Kennedy's weakness uh, that allowed that you know Russia exploited, and then all of a sudden Kennedy became tough, and and that's what threw them for a loop because they were like, wait a minute, you're you're supposed to be a pushover now, uh, and and uh, so anyway, uh, Dove, from from your perspective, uh, is it? problematic for the Republican Party and voices in the Republican Party to be, um, you know, mirroring, parroting these uh, Kremlin uh, talking points? Because unfortunately, whether anybody likes it or not, where Tucker Carlson goes, so goes the party. Well, uh, obviously, it's very unfortunate. Uh, Carlson is simply uh, reenacting uh, Donald Trump's behavior toward Putin. Uh, but let's face it, Don, uh Carlson's not in the White House any more than Trump is. And so uh, I for, agree for now, what, for now. Well, but now is now is another three years. And uh, it's that's why I only give this administration a B minus over a C plus. But I agree with everything that's been said before me. And I want to give you a couple of additional uh, perspectives on this. The first thing is instead of being private with our responses to the Russians, we should be public about them. And then we should have some additional private responses, both to the Russians and to our allies. For instance, uh, I don't see why we shouldn't be telling the Germans privately that if they keep this nonsense up about Nord Stream 2, we are going to impose secondary sanctions that will make it impossible for them to get gas from Russia. And guess what? Congress will support it if Putin goes in in anything more than a tiny way. Uh, and maybe even if he goes in at all. Um, the threat of doing that ought to wake the Germans up and it'll leak and the Russians will know it and that'll complicate Putin's thinking. Instead, we've kept everything quiet. So that's number one. Number two, I totally agree with Mark that 
This is not a one-year deal, but nevertheless, we could provide a lot more to the Ukrainians than we already are. Uh, and, and we should do so, and we should do so quickly, and we can do so quickly if we wanted to. Uh, and third, uh, and this, I guess, goes to the piece that I, I wrote this morning or that appeared this morning. I wrote it a couple of days ago. You know, the Iranians, the Russians, and the Chinese had a, one of their joint naval exercises again. And when, uh, and when Mr. Wang, the uh, Wang Yi, the foreign minister of, of China, was talking to Tony Blinken, he was not only talking about Taiwan, he was talking about Taiwan and Ukraine. And so this all hangs together. We have this crazy notion. Maybe it's because of our unified command plan where we have different uh, commanders in charge of different parts of the world. We sort of think that everything is separable and that we can deal with threats consecutively. Well, guess what? They're all working together and they're all watching each other as, as everyone on this program has said. And we need to do the same. And so that goes to some extent, and it's not just that I'm a former comptroller, but it does go to some extent to what we do about the defense budget. If we are announcing that we're pulling out of this place or that place, and we're cutting the defense budget, and the story is that the new 23 budget will be lower than what Congress is giving Mr. Biden for 22, if that's the case, then that's only going to reinforce all the bad guys who will then conclude that, yes, the United States is weak. It's got domestic issues, as, as Jim has said, and it's not going to be able to move. But leadership involves overcoming domestic opposition. Think Franklin Roosevelt and the isolationists. It means leading NATO, not just sucking up to the Germans. It means taking a strong stand. And if we don't, then you know what? Putin and she are right. Uh, look, I'm one of the people who thinks that this is uh, Joe Biden's moment. And if he wants to seize it with his domestic agenda in a very problematic situation, this is someplace where he can actually be able to work, not just uh, with Republicans, but will be able to very effectively work uh, with a lot of the center of the Democratic Party uh, that uh, also uh, believes that there is uh, a lot at stake about the future of American uh, power uh, fundamentally. And I would also point out, right, I mean, the Falkland Islands invasion in part happened because uh, the Thatcher government cut HMS endurance from the South Atlantic and the Argentines concluded, well, it's not that important to them, right? I mean, obviously, if they get rid of this ship, that is the guard ship for the entire uh, region, uh, it's not important. And then all of a sudden uh, you find uh, that, there, uh, that, that there's an in invasion. Mark, I wanna uh, sort of bring this home uh, with, with you uh, about how we need, you know, and I'm also one of the people who's been arguing for years. I remember the late great Peter Rodman would tell me, you know, under no circumstance should we allow the Chinese and the Russians to get together. And my question was, okay, but they're increasingly opposed to us and they are going to get together. And what then? And how do we deal with that then? Uh, uh, Mark, how do we need to think about security sort of broadly and in a more integrated fashion uh, and see them as, as linked, uh, these challenges? And the other question I have for you uh, is whether or not, and, and time is very, very tight. So you've got about a minute and a half for this. Um, do we need to bring cyber in as a cause of spell? We heard from uh, Mike Rogers uh, on our program on the cyber report, which you're uh, kind enough to be a regular on as well, uh, talking about why we need to look at um, uh, incursions, not just in a conventional ground truth, uh, you know, conventional military context, but also in cyber where, where this campaign is heating up and heating up rather dramatically. Okay, thanks. That's a 
a lot of issues for one minute. So the first one on Russia, China, you know, do I think they're getting closer to each other? Yes. Do I think they're natural allies? No. I mean, they're enemy of my enemy allies. And I don't believe that's how you build the kind of strong structure, you know, the, the strong relationships that you see, say, between the U.S. and Japan or the U.S. and the United Kingdom or most of the U.S. and NATO. Um, but I, I do think we should be running an aggressive uh, disinformation operations campaign against the Russia-China alliance. I think when, when they're when you're when you're looking at someone who's just an enemy of the enemy friends, um, they're very vulnerable to disinformation operations. And uh, I think there's a lot of distrust between the two countries, and uh, and they don't necessarily have shared interests in a lot of areas. So we should be running. I hope we are running an aggressive disinformation operations campaign to undermine that alliance. On the issue of cyber, I do think we need to start to understand that, you know, there's two parts to cyber. One is cyber for the purpose of cyber, where you go either do denial of services against uh, a government, as, as the Russians did in 2008 and 2014, against government media sites. And then there's the, uh, the damaging um, of critical infrastructure, as the Russians did in 2015 and 16 against uh, uh, and 17 against the uh, Ukrainians. And I, I think we're going to see that cyber on cyber. I think there's a separate thing where if the Russians go in, you're going to see cyber enabling kinetic operations where they do localized takedowns of communication networks. But to get back to Mike Ro to what uh, Admiral Rogers was saying about the um, about the uh, cyber on cyber, um, I mean the, the idea of cyber is a causes bell. I, I do believe if someone begins to impact your critical infrastructure, uh, you need to see that for the damage it, it can cause to both your national security, economic development, and your public health and safety. And if we see that in Ukraine, then we should begin to unveil. Uh, you know, and put into place some of the economic sanctions we prepared, probably uh, not all of them because you don't want to escalate. But I mean, in, a, in, a, in an appropriate, proportionate way, begin to hold the Russians accountable for any cyber activity that they or their third party hacktivists who they enable inside their country in Belarus uh, uh, do against the uh, against the Ukrainian national critical infrastructure. Um, uh, uh, Dove, uh, let me go to you briefly before uh, we part. Bring us up to speed uh, on Iran. I should uh, point out that uh, it's an extraordinary time in the Middle East, uh, snowing second year uh, in a row where places like Jerusalem and including um, uh, uh, Baalbek and a number of other places uh, ended up with uh, snow. Uh, putting that aside, uh, what's the latest on uh, the Iranians and nuclear talks? Well, uh you know, they're still talking. And uh, of course, snow in the Middle East is kind of like snow in Washington. It brings, you know, a quarter inch here and everything comes to a halt. So you can imagine what the Middle East is like. No, they're still talking. And the real question, and, and, and it's much larger than the talks really, is what is the biggest concern the United States and the West should have about Iran? Is it the nuclear aspect or is it the missile program and the trouble that Iran is making around the world? And we seem to be worrying more about the nuclear program. Just to give you a concrete example, Iran spends probably around a couple of billion dollars a year to support the Houthis who are flying drones virtually daily uh, against the United Arab Emirates. It supports Hezbollah, it supports so many others, the, the militias in Iran and Iraq are another example. And yet, uh, Iran turned around and said, we can't afford to pay our UN dues, and therefore we can't vote. By the way, this is a, the only country in the world that voted 
against uh, in the entire United Nations that voted against the latest anti-Holocaust denier resolution uh, in the General Assembly. So what does the Biden administration do? They go to South Korea and say, release some money so that Iran can vote in the UN. Now, that is simply because of the uh, JCPOA, the nuclear deal. And you've got to wonder, are, is this administration so fixated on the nuclear deal that it's losing the forest for the trees? Let me ask uh, one more minute. Uh, let me ask uh, this question. Why is it Arab governments all across the region are suddenly in, in love with their Jewish populations uh, and uh, Jewish historical uh, legacy, whether synagogues in Cairo, Damascus, uh, or uh, free religion in Saudi Arabia or UAE? Well, I think it all has to do with, uh, with the closer ties to Israel on the one hand, uh, and the hedging against the United States. Uh, if you're sitting in, in any one of these uh, Gulf countries and you see that Iran will build a nuclear weapon, and even if it doesn't, uh, it's going to continue to fund uh, terrorists who go and fly drones and kill your people, uh, what is the one country that's closer to them geographically that is prepared to help them out and has the technology to do it? And uh, if you want to get really into Israel's good books and not become a, a partisan issue in the Israeli elections or anything like that, what? You just go and, and do what they're doing in terms of Jewish heritage. And oh, by the way, that do does win friends. And I believe they think that it wins more friends and more power than, than is actually the case. But they think that'll win friends in the Jewish community in the United States. And maybe they overstate that communities influence uh, in Washington. But uh, I think those are the two reasons. And it, and it certainly doesn't hurt. Everybody, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate you spending so much time with us. Uh, always appreciate it. Hope everybody has uh, a great weekend and a great week and look forward to having you back on again next week. Thanks a lot. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.